Pilots have seen things most people will only dream of. Your host, Jeff Lively, has had his fair share of time in the sky and has plenty of stories to tell. Here on Leaders of Aviation, we're speaking with others in the aviation industry to get their insight and inspiration. Together, we'll gain knowledge to pursue our goals. Life's a journey. Enjoy the flight. Hi, guys. Welcome back to the Leaders of Aviation podcast. With joining me today, I have Trevor Cowley. He is a uh, the owner of Easier Accounting, 60-Day Credit Repair. Uh, if you listen to the podcast, I would highly recommend you check it out. Uh, Real Business Owners, um, I've listened since episode one, and it's been highly valuable to me and my, uh, I guess, entrepreneur journey. And last but not least, he is an investor in multiple companies. So Trevor, welcome. Thanks, brother. No, I'm glad that you reached out and, and asked me to be on. Uh, quick question, were you nervous to reach out and ask me to be on. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I, I will say I'm, I'm having a little bit of imposter syndrome right now. No, no, no. So, um, the, and the only reason why I say that is because you should, you know, and, and what's cool about you is you shot your shot, right? Even though you were a little nervous, Hey, is he going to say, no, I'm, this is a brand new podcast, whatever. That's what, that's what makes the achievers different in the world is even though that they feel that feeling, they don't listen to it and they still follow through. Right. Uh, and it could be aviation, you know, nervous the first time going up in a plane, but you don't listen to those nerves and you, you pull that thing off the ground anyways. And, and you realize it wasn't so bad. Right. And so, um, the only reason why I asked that is because so many people let their emotions make their decisions for them. They probably won't say yes, or I'm not going to ask. They're probably busy or that you start creating excuses in your own mind for the other individual instead of just shooting your shot and asking. Right. And that's, that's just a life lesson in general, whether it's uh, business or not, right. Aviation or not. Like, you know, there's a lot of people that, that, uh, are not getting uncomfortable or putting themselves in situations where they feel like an imposter. Who the hell am I to fly an airplane, bro? Like I thought, I thought that, right. Like, but then it started kind of like, well, why not? Like, why not me? Like what, what, what disqualifies me from doing something like that? Because you always are like, well, pilot, the pilots are, they're, they're those people. They're a pilot. That's different. That's not me. I'm not a pilot. Right. And so that's what happens in the world is so many of us. I'm not an entrepreneur. I'm not a podcaster. I'm not a pilot. That's what those people do. But those people also had a day one. Day one of becoming a pilot. Day one of recording a podcast. Day one of becoming an entrepreneur. Day one of investing money. Everybody's day one is, 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 is the same in regards to the uneasy discomfort and imposter syndrome. I felt it. You have to feel it. And anybody out out there that wants to do something great with their life, whether it's in aviation or not, is going to have to go through that feeling. So I applaud you and commend you for, for reaching out and asking. No, for real. I appreciate that brother. And you know, when I did reach out, um, I I just, I couldn't stop thinking about the real business owners and just what y'all have grown that platform to be. And, and just the, the value that you bring to the business community has been, I mean, if you're not, if if people aren't listening to it and they're an entrepreneur, it's, it's a mastermind of itself. Right. So uh, again, that's that's one thing we take pride in. We try to give real valuable information that 
we believe we could charge good money for. But uh, if we serve the entrepreneurship community or if you serve your community in any facet, you know, it's a law of reciprocity. Something good will come back, you know, from it. So and, and, and because of that, I get to meet great people like you, you know. I appreciate that. Well, hundred percent. So before we dive into the business and, and, and aviation and what you got going on currently, let's, let's take it back. And uh, I guess back to your high school days or back to your uh, uh, beginnings per se of, you know, what, what guided you towards the business path and that entrepreneur uh, uh, path? Um, I would say, you know, my upbringing probably guided me towards that more than uh, maybe than I give it credit for. Um, and, and the reason why I say that is because when you grow up really poor, like, you know, getting your lights shut off, watching your mom cry to the utility department poor, um, you know, seven kids, she's trying to raise us, she's trying to feed us, she's trying to keep the lights on. And when I say trying, that's exactly what she was doing. And she wasn't succeeding in some cases. You know, we were the family that, um, you know, when people would doorbell ditches and we'd open the door, there would be like cans of food on our doorstep. Like as a kid, I remember opening my cupboards and like, it's just like there was, it was bare, like maybe, maybe a loaf of bread, you know, or something like that. And then I'd get like uh, cinnamon sugar, make a piece of toast and put butter and cinnamon sugar. And like, I would eat that. Right. So I ate, uh, you know, the, 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 the church, the local church, uh, they had what's called the Bishop's storehouse. And so we would go through there, we get powder milk, right. Where you take a scoop, just like a protein shake, put it in your cup, mix water in it and you make your milk. Right. That's, that's, that's how I grew up, you know, for the first, you know, 14, 15 years of my life. Um, and when you grow up like that, you can't really ask your mom or your parents or whatever your situation is for money. And so when you, when you really, really want something, you figure out a way to go get it. And some kids have the luxury of parents that are okay financially and they get to go ask mom or dad, Hey, can I have 20 bucks? I want to go to the movies with my friends, you know, or can I have, you know, a new bike or my tire popped? Can you take me to go get it fixed? You know, like when my tire popped and all my homies were riding their bikes, I had to figure out a way to fix my bike. I, if, if the lights are getting shut off, what makes me believe that I'm, she's going to have an extra five or 10 bucks to get me a new tube for my bike. If we can't, if, if we're already getting free food and the lights are barely, barely staying on. Right. And so what this did is it taught me that nobody's going to solve my problem, but me. So if it's, if it's my problem, then it's my problem to solve. It's not my mom's. It's not my brothers or sisters. I wanted to go ride the bike with my friends. So it was up to me to create the solution for that. And so what I did is I would get creative and go mow lawns. There was a, a golf course uh, close by. I would get a backpack, fill it up with golf, dig, dig through the bushes that all the shitty golfers, let's be real, 99% of them are because I'm one of them. You know, I'll shank it right out into a bush. No big deal, right? Um, and so now I'm the guy donating the balls to the, the poor kids so that they could sell it. But I would on a Saturday, go down in the, in the weeds and, and get the golf balls, put them in a backpack, take them home, polish them all up, go back on either that Saturday or on that Sunday. And I would open it up for, for a dollar when they were on like the tee box, I'd pop out of a bush 
And I would create my own uh, way to, to, to find five bucks, 10 bucks, 20 bucks, whatever I had to do, I would figure out a way. And this put me in a situation where one, I was okay to work for what I wanted. And secondly, I wouldn't have to go outside of any outside of myself and go to somebody else to solve my problems for me. That seems like kind of like an entrepreneur, somebody that has to solve a lot of problems, right? Somebody that can't really go outside of themselves to ask for somebody else to solve their problems. And so I believe that it put me in the situation now as an entrepreneur to take it really extreme ownership of my situation and create solutions to whatever the problems that are that I'm facing and not depend on somebody else to do that for me. And I, and I really believe that that's what makes a good entrepreneur and the way that I grew up, whether I knew it or not, that's kind of the, the situation that I was brought up in. And so I believe that I had the luxury of growing up poor because it taught me some of those things uh, at a very young age that are serving me now. Awesome. Yeah. I love that. Um, you know, I, I feel like a lot of entrepreneurs, they have some sort of, uh, childhood hustle per se, whether it's, uh, trading cards or whether it's, uh, you know, well, I did all that too. Paper routes, there, was you know? fog, there was cards, there was golf balls, there was mowing lawns, there was pulling weeds. I mean, you name it, you name it. And, and I would do it, you know? And, and, uh, you know, it was even to the point where, I mean, I hate to say it, construction guys are going to probably hate me, but I would go around to construction sites and get like the copper and this and that, because I was so poor and there was a recycle center, you know, cans, this, that, like whatever I could get, I would take it to the, re like, what will you give me for this, <laughs> you know, like type of uh, situation. And so it was, it was pretty dire, but you know, I figured I'd figure out a way to make it happen for myself. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, go, growing up from, from that, from that childhood, what, what was, uh, um, one of your first businesses, like where you actually filed, whether it was an LLC or something that became serious, did, did that succeed? Did that not succeed? What, what did that look like? Uh, it was a trucking company. I was an investor in a trucking company that felt. So, uh, I think this is an issue with people that are super hungry to become entrepreneurs or business owners, investors, whatever, when they start getting a couple bucks. I mean, I made okay money as a sales guy, you know, I was making 120, 130 grand a year for a few years, but the, whole, the, the entire time that I was doing that, I was driving, you know, that Mitsubishi Lancer that was like three grand, no AC, none of that, um, just to save money to create opportunity for myself. But I was so hungry for opportunity that I would, I would go throw money at dumb opportunities just to make me feel like validated. Like I was an entrepreneur, I was an investor, right? And I think I shot myself in the foot by, you know, being a little too eager to have that title to where I start, you know, putting the blinders on to maybe some of the things that I should have saw uh, that would have ultimately stopped me from making those, those wrong moves or investments. But I was a $21,000 investment into a trucking company and, you know, the, uh, the individual running it, it was called Randy Phillips trucking. And that was the guy that I put my money behind and he ended up being a complete dirt bag. And, uh, and, and I got nothing in return from that. So the first one, not, not so good. Well, you know, so when I, when I introduced you, none of what I said was a trucking company. So what I'm hearing is you kept going, you kept moving forward. 
Yep. I mean, that's, that's the name of the game. I've got plenty other, plenty other losses I can talk about, you know, I mean, it wasn't more than probably two years ago that we invested over 300,000 into a different business venture that didn't work. Right. So everybody, every, I mean, on Instagram or whatever, like people see the, 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 the stuff that's actually working, like the building that I'm in, that's, you know, we've got the, almost the entire third floor here. That's almost 10,000 square feet just for the accounting company. And then we've got another office. that's probably, I don't even know what it is. 5,000, 60, I don't know, uh, square feet for our credit repair company as well. And yeah, those are the ones with buildings. Those are the ones that are tangible. Those are the ones that people can see that we've had success because they see our name on the building or they can come into the office, touch it, feel it. It's real. Right. Um, nobody really, nobody really is envious of the process of having to lose, 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 lose in order to build something that's real. Right. And so, um, there's been, there's been more failures than we, than we've had in terms of successes, right. We've had, we have a few companies doing really well, but we've probably shut down, closed or failed at seven or eight different businesses. Right. And so that's just a numbers game. If we start 10 different businesses and two or three work and, and, and those two or three are spitting out a lot of money, then, you know, we're doing okay financially and it'll make up for the other seven losses or eight losses. Right. And, and that's just, that's what we believe in our heart. And, uh, and, and it's actually, and, and it works. We're, we're living proof of it. Right. For sure. So let, let's fast forward now to, I guess, what brought those buildings and, and those spaces to be, um, you know, the, the businesses that did succeed and, you know, how, how did you get into what, what you're currently doing right now? It's just always, it's just transition, 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 right? From one thing to another. But um, so Kel back in the day, my business partner, Kel Goodman, uh, that's also the co-host of Real Business Owners uh, with me. Um, he sold tax and accounting services for a company, I think in 2005 or 2006 something like that. It was, I think it was 06. Um, so he's kind of been around the tax and accounting game for 15 years, right? Something like that. And maybe even longer, maybe it was 04, something like that. I mean, it was, it, it's been a while, right? And so he didn't really have experience doing the taxes or anything. He was a sales guy. And the problem is with accountants, they're really not good salespeople because they're normally a little bit more dry and, you know, not the most exciting, thrilling people to speak to on the phone. Um, and, and I'm not saying there aren't any like that. I'm just saying, you know, the majority, right? There's obviously the outliers in, in, in that industry that, that have the ability to have some charisma, personality, energy. Uh, and, I, and I believe we have a couple on staff, not 100% of them, but, and that's one thing we try to keep top of mind is, Give them energy. Don't be your typical accountant. Don't be boring. Don't be dry. You know, they, they've already had all that. You know, they, they, that's the reason why they're coming to us is so they can get away from the, the typical or the normal. Right. And so um, since he's had experience selling these services, he had a previous uh, a company, uh, Precision Tax Services or something like that um, with other partners. And that partnership just so he went from selling it to end up starting his own with, with a different group of, uh, partners on that business. And that business got up to 10 or 12 million, something like that. And then the partnership crumbled, right. It kind of fizzled out, you know, and, uh, that's when he was, 
like, well, I still kind of want to do this thing. And I was partnered with him on something else. And we're like, yeah, let's just roll with it. Let's go. You know, I'm down. You already, you, you, you know, the ropes, you know, the game you've sold it, you've owned it. You did, you know, so it's just being around long enough and one business was slowly sinking and, and he's like, dude, it was just a partnership that made it sink. It wasn't a really bad business model. It's profitable. It makes money. We can do a good job. So we just, we, we just, we just made the adjustment. I came in as an owner and, um, you know, we, we, we hit the ground running, but we were already owners together on a whole different company doing business funding stuff, which that company doesn't exist anymore. Why? Because a lot of hedge funds, big money guys started wanting to get in the business funding space when they realized that they could flip money pretty quick and have their money wake, make way better money doing that on hard money type loans versus 10% safe stuff in, in, in stock and bonds. Right. And so they're wanting to, you know, make 50 to hundred percent returns on their money. You could do that stuff when you're doing hard money loans and helping people locate funding, right. That can't normally get access to, to traditional loans. They have no choice, but to say yes to higher rates, uh, you know, things like that. And so we were playing around in that space since 2009. And then we fizzled out of that around 2018 and, and the only reason why we, we, we did is because when we started, we could get leads of people looking for funding for like anywhere from eight to 12 bucks. By the 10 years later in 2018, it cost us, it, it, by the time we walked away, it was a hundred, 120, 150, just to generate a lead. That doesn't mean necessarily that they were going to say yes. Right. And that's the, the, the influence that these big money guys had coming in because they all wanted a piece of this pie, which drove up the cost per click, which ultimately drove up the cost per lead. And it, and it wasn't necessarily a bad business model. It just, we ended up getting priced out. We couldn't compete with hedge funds that have hundreds of millions of dollars that they're trying to deploy. And so uh, we transitioned that company over to 60 day credit repair because we were already kind of working on people's credit trying to help prepare them to look better for funding anyways, taking a look at their credit report, you know, their business plans, you know, all that stuff and trying to help them locate some funding options for them. And then when we did, we'd get a little bit of a kickback, what's called a success fee. Um, but we would charge them $2,500 to go through our lender prep package where we'd help them write a business plan. We'd help them set up an entity. We'd work on their credit a little bit so that they looked better, uh, in the eyes of a potential lender. So it increased their probability of success in getting access to money. And so once that fizzled away, we transitioned to a credit repair company. So we, we were always trying to think ahead of the curve. We're always looking for opportunity because you just never know how long the business that you're currently in will, will be the vehicle that will cash flow. And so uh, that's why we always keep a lot of money in the banks, keep them in the business. So if we ever have to make weird transitions or hold back in terms of taking money, that the business still has the ability to survive. And so it's just weird, man. It's just weird transitions over the last, you know, decade that I, that I've been in partnership with Kel and, and then now here we are doing podcast stuff, you know, social media stuff, we're, you know, launching our own masterminds, things like that. So it's just evolution, you know? Absolutely. So speaking of ahead of the curve and opportunity, when, when did aviation start coming into the conversation and, or at least uh, when, when did that interest start uh, sparking for you? Mm, um, I would say um, 
probably a little, just a little over a year ago, you know, something like that. Um, you know, I would, I always thought it would be cool, but I never really took it serious again. Just like I said, early on in the podcast, that's, that's for pilots. I'm not a pilot. That's not me, right? They have to be, you gotta be super smart to be a pilot. I mean, you're flying an airplane for health sakes, right? All the stories that you tell yourself that you're not, but they are. And that's why I'm not that. Right. And so therefore you just never pursue it. It's just the stories that we make up in our mind about situations that ultimately stop us from doing that thing. And so, um, so last year I got done uh, with 75 hard, you know, the 75 hard challenge. I'm on it right now. I'm on day four. Um, it is the new year, right? Four days into it. So I'm going to do that for the first 75 days of this year. Cause I really want to hit the ground running and I just want to be on point in all areas of my life. And, and I believe that, that that program or challenge um, helps you do just that. And so I did it last year. I ended early November. The problem was, is I felt so good and so productive that when I ended it within about a week or two, I felt myself really hitting a, a, a low, right? Like, what am I doing? Like I was working out twice a day. I was reading. I was in, I was being so, so productive. And then when I stopped doing that, I kind of felt like a, a piece of shit just to be straight up with you. Right. Like sure. I'm not working out twice. I'm not reading as much. Like I was pulling my foot off the gas and I was feeling depressed, but it's like, but I wanted a new challenge. I didn't, I didn't want to just go right back into, you know, which I could have done and it probably would have helped, but at the same time, I felt like I kind of conquered that one. And it was like, for me, it was like, what's next. It, it made me realize that I was kind of underplaying my hand of who I am as an individual and, and what I'm capable of. Right. And so it got me thinking within a week or two, cause we had been talking me and Kel, my partner about maybe getting a plane one day and, and having a pilot and how cool that would be. Every time we get a delay or a cancel flight, we're like, Ah, we let's look up planes. How much are these things? And, you know, we're sitting in the airport daydreaming about, you know, having our own planes and our own pilot and this, that, the other. And it, in that moment, it kind of hit me and I was like, well, we've been kind of been talking about it. It's been a goal of ours to, to, within the next two years to have a plane. And it only been one year since we made that goal. So by the end of this year, it'll be a full two year period. Right. Um, and it, that's, it literally, I was just sitting there. I was like, it hit me. Go get your pilot's license. That's the next challenge. Yeah. Like you don't, I mean, physical challenges are cool and stuff. And I've done those, you know, I've run 37 miles on my 37th birthday. I've done 75 heart. Like I've done like physical challenges and I love them because they keep you mentally disciplined and you get to kind of meet your mind out there when you're pushing yourself, when your mind's telling you pull back and you get to push forward and that builds character, confidence, discipline, you know, all those things. And that's why I do it. But I was like, this is new. This is different. This is so out of left field and nobody's going to see this one coming, you know, but, and, and, and of course I tell myself, I wasn't really that book smart. I didn't graduate high school on time. Like, how am I going to do this thing? You know, and that's still something that I battle with in terms of, you know, but I have to, I, I'm not, why am I not book smart? Because I've never given real intent and effort to become books, book smart. So how can I say that I'm not book smart if I've never really given it full effort? Yeah. How can I say I'm not a runner? If somebody says, let's do a marathon. Oh, I'm not a runner. No, thank you. Well, you're not a runner because you don't practice running, right? It's, it's not that you can't be a runner. It's just, you're choosing not to be a runner. 
you know? And so I think that that's just super important to kind of keep top of mind for every individual listening. Like when you say, I'm not a reader. Well, yeah, because you don't practice reading. I'm not a runner because you don't practice running. Every person that is a runner now at one point wasn't a runner. You know, you didn't run out the womb and, you know, run, run your first marathon. Right. So it's like you had to become that thing that you're saying that you're not. You just haven't put the steps in to become that thing that you say that you want yet. Right. And so, um, you know, with that said, I said, this is going to be this. This will be it. This is the challenge. And I picked up the phone immediately and called and was like looking at like flight schools and, you know, this, that, the other man, I'm just an idiot. You know, what am I doing here? But I'm going to, I'm going to, it was like a Saturday. I was like, what am I doing? I was like, they're not going to answer anyways. Maybe I'll just call Monday. And I caught myself I'm like, here I am. I'm pushing. I'm, I'm, I'm again, I I'm giving myself credit for having the intent, but not really following through yet. I'm, I'm putting that intent out to a different day or a different time. And I'm like, well, I don't know what's going to happen on Monday. What if something happens and I've got time now, you know, so I called myself out right there in that moment. So I made that call and uh, they didn't answer. So I left a voicemail. They called back within 30 minutes and I'm like, Hey, I'm ready to sign up. And they're like, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. You haven't even like, come out and talk to us first and we'll tell you what it entails. And then you can tell us whether or not that's something that you're still serious about. And I'm like, cool. When can I schedule that? You know, and I scheduled the earliest day that I could schedule that and went out there. I'm like, yeah, this all sounds dandy. You know, this, that, the other. And I did have, I do have, you know, past DUIs, right? I've got three DUIs. One when I was 19, 23, 24. Um, and I even have one when I was 17. So I really have four. I don't know if the the one when I was 17 is on my record or not. I, I don't know, but I'm sure the FAA or the government can see it if they want. So I, I was very transparent on that introductory day. You know, that this is what we, I said. I, I have a speckled past. I haven't seen any trouble in 13 or 14 years though. I said, but there was a, a good run there in my childhood where I was an absolute shithead. I grew up poor and was running around with the wrong crowd. Sometimes when you grow up in bad neighborhoods, you don't really have a whole lot of good options in terms of who you hang out with, who you run around with, some of the decisions you make. And so I was a product of my environment. I grew up in a very poor, bad environment. So I was making very bad and poor decisions. And so um, I told him straight up and he says, ah, I don't know. That's a long time ago. I really don't see that being much of an issue if it's been that long. You know, I've seen people with weird situations, you know, in a lot sooner, like two, three years ago, you know, get, get their licenses and not have any issues or whatever. Anyways, you know, um, after 75 hard, I could, I was like, maybe I'll be the pilot. I'll save money. This will be a new challenge. And it, and it, and it kind of fits in what we wanted to do anyways. Right. I remember the first day showing up, He's like, well, what are you here for? And I go pull out my phone. I'm like, I want to fly this. And I show him a citation, a jet. And he laughs. And he's like, you can't fly that, dude. And I was like, I know. I said, that's why I'm here. And he's like, no, no. Like that, you got to get type rated. And I'm like, well, what's type rated? You know, I'm like, a pilot's a pilot. Like, just like a driver's license is a driver's license. Like, I can drive a truck, a car, a minivan, an SUV, you know. And I, I, I guess there's motorcycle licenses. And then there's, you know, obviously the CDL, right, for, to drive truck. But I really didn't think of it like that. I thought all pilots were just a pilot. You could fly one, you could fly another one, right? And so he had to explain all that to me and kind of talk me off the, 
my high horse of my big dreams of flying this citation that was like 1.8 million or something. Cause I was like, this is the one we want, you know? Yeah. And, uh, Anyways, after that conversation, uh, I was like, cool, uh, well, I'll get a smaller plane. I'll work my way up to something else. And, you know, here we are today, uh, you know, a little, a little 13 months in still dealing with issues with the FAA based upon past DUIs and the FAA only communicates once every two months via letters. Right. So I'll send in what they what they request. Two months later, I, you know, Hey, what about this? And now send in your driving record for the last 10 years. Okay, here you go. And they, two months later, they send something else back. Now we want you to send in your police reports and your court records and your, you know, uh, and then send that in. Now we want you to just two months later, describe your relationship with alcohol now versus what it was. Okay. Send that in. It's two months later, come, something comes back. We need you to meet with a FAA approved psychiatrist to do a human intervention motivation study to make sure you're an individual, you know. So I'm getting, I'm getting, I'm getting it all thrown at me at this point in time and kind of dealing with, with that fun stuff. But, and I, I know my situation is unique, but, you know, I would say that, you know, after getting familiar with the FAA and, and the whole pilot's license process, that, um, they kind of told me if you have two or more DUIs, then they will run you through the ringer, um, uh, in terms of, you know, to see how bad you really want it. In some cases they can send you for random drug tests at any time to see if you have any alcohol in your system. If you drink within the last 24, 48 hours, stuff like that. And even that's what the psychi- psychiatrist told me is like, dude, you might have to just give up alcohol altogether. And I'm like, I don't really drink anyways. I, I drink like four or five times a year. Like if I'm on vacation or out with my wife and I have a glass of wine or something, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not raging. Like I used to, you know, I run businesses and, you know, I have a family. You can see by my driving record, I haven't even had a parking ticket in 10 years. It's, it was literally, they printed out a blank piece of paper that said no arrests, no citations. That's, that's all it was. Right. And so, you know, anytime you make a change, anytime you're trying to grow, anytime you're trying to do something greater than your current self, there's going to be issues. There's going to be problems. And, you know, th- this is my fight, my battle to, to uh, deal with and, 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 and try to overcome. And, and that's what I'll plan on doing. I'll just chip away at their request. And hopefully one day I, they don't have any more, you know, and, and they say, go, go get your damn license. So that's what I'm hoping for. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. So, um, from the moment you walked in that flight school and you showed them that citation and, you know, they, they laughed or whatnot. Tell me, tell us, uh, you know, what, what has training been like? So I know, I think you mentioned you, you're above 40 hours now. So what, from that first initial literally walking up to, I think, uh, it's a Piper, correct? That you've primarily been training on. Yeah. The Piper. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that thing's nasty. That thing's a hunk of, sh- hunk of crap too. It looked like it anyways. The yeah. more I get to know planes, I'm like, you can't even judge them dang things by the, the book cover. Right. Uh, so to speak, cause then the inside and the guts and you know, it's, well, sitting inside, it still looks like crap, but the actual guts of the thing, you know, they do a very, very good job of maintaining them and, and keeping them, uh, you know, ready for the air. But uh, man, I, I, I couldn't believe the planes that I saw when I showed up on the first day. I was like, 
Okay, is this a, a graveyard for? Because it was like a, it's a small city, kind of right outside my city, small little airport. You know, they they don't have runways for. There's like no, it's all small prop planes, right? I think it's like fifteen hundred feet runway or something. I mean, it's it's small. It's small, yeah. Um, yeah, and uh, I'm like looking at these things as I'm pulling up. I'm like, is this like a, is this like a graveyard for planes, like? where they like retire them or what? Because that was the, like on this side of the airport, there's like a dirt and it's just like, there is old retired planes that just are out of use. And then I saw ones just at like kind of where they, where they're parking on the tarmac that are like chained up. I'm like, those look like they should be over there, you know? And I was like, they're not going to have me fly that. They're going to pull out the good stuff out of one of these hangers, you know, for this, for me to learn in. You know, they're not going to put me in something like that that looks like it's about to fall out of the sky. And after I get into talking to him, I'm like, what, what, one of these planes, like, which, what, which, where, which one do we fly? You know? And he's like, oh, yeah, that green one right out there. Like, what? I was like, that thing gets off the ground still? I couldn't believe it, dude. I couldn't, I was so scared to fly that I thought I was going to die. Like, no, no joke to the point where I made sure. I made a video for my wife, my kids, my business partners, like my employees, all, I mean, not all individually, but it was one video talking and addressing all these people that are important to me. And what I did is I emailed it to myself. So it was sitting on the top of the email. So if, if, if I die and somebody's like checking, like, Hey, let's check his email. It's like kind of just checking some things out. Right that they would see that video in terms of, you know, Hey, this is kind of what I want to have go down and my, you know, love you. Don't be sad for me. You know, that whole, th- I still have that video still wow. sitting in my email. Um, and I put my will in my truck sitting on the top of everything. So I was prepared to die to follow through with the commitment that I made, right? Like to myself, because I was sick of being controlled by like, I, I, I hate heights and I hate roller coasters. I hate, hate, hate roller coasters, you know? So, and flying never been a big fan of it sitting in the back seat. Oh shit. I, I knew it. The one time I take a flight, we're going down, you know, right. When it starts getting bumpy, you just like, I had that just negative mindset around planes because I didn't know enough. Right. I guess negative mindset around a certain topic is probably because you're uneducated in that topic and you don't understand how safe that they really are and some of the and how far they can glide. Even even if the engine, you know, craps out or whatever, like as you get more and more familiar with it, you get more and more confident with it. Let's just say this. I'm not putting. So the first probably six times I flew, I would forward that email to the top. I'd make sure my will was sitting in my in my truck. Um Towards the end, I kind of stopped doing that, you know, because I'm like, when they pull the the throttle back, engine failure, I'm like, huh, I got this, you know, go through my ABDCE, right? Uh, my check, you know, you know, and, and, and as your confidence grows, you don't feel like you're going to die. Um, and so it was, it was, dude, it was super interesting in, in regards to the emotions that I had to overcome, the emotions that I felt and the emotions that almost really controlled me because by the, th- the third time I went up, we hit some nasty shit, some real, like we came up over a hill and, uh, we just started getting pounded and he, and so he's, he's on the clicking it, like whatever, 
three times, six times trying to get the wet, that, that AWOS, right. Um, on the, on just to the local, uh, airport. And it says that it was gusts of winds, you know, 20 to 25 knots. And this little plane is rated for up to 15 knots. Right. And so we're in there and just, Oh my God, we're just getting thrown around like rag dolls. And I'm like, this is the third time up. Right. And, and by then, by the third time up, you're already starting to fly a little bit, right? Like they're hand they're, I mean, very first time I went up, he pulled that thing off. And as we're still going up, he's like, go ahead and take it. And I'm like, what? You know, I thought you were just going to show me the ropes on this thing. And I'm like, they hand, they hand those controls over to you uh, pretty darn quick. I was expecting just show me the ropes for the first one, two, three times. I'll watch this thing. But, you know, they start handing it over to you pretty quick. And by the third time I was getting knocked around and I was like, we're going to, we're going to fall out of the sky and you know, whatever, uh, I'm going to die. You know, uh, that's just what your mind just automatically goes to the worst case scenario. Right. Um, and we're just getting tossed and tossed and tossed and tossed. And we, we get, we get close to the airport, which is only like, we're only about three or four miles out after we came up over this hill and started getting really thrashed by the wind. Um, so it was, it was close and, you know, I'm coming around and there's a mountain right here. Right. So this is, this is all right. And turns when normally you want you left, left, left land, right. This airport is built next to a hill where you can't even do that. If you want to go left, you're just coming back on the other, on the other runway. You're not going on this side. Right. Mm-hmm. And so um, so each side, e- either you're going this way or you're going this way. Right. So we were going this way. We're taking our return and I'm starting to get blown up against the mountain. Like I'm c- trying to come down to the runway and it's just pushing us towards that mountain. I'm trying to crab into it and everything. And it's just, it's not happening. And he's, I got flight controls. You got flight, you know, that whole deal handed over. He throttles it up. He's like, I'm going to try to hit it from the other side. You know, he's like, he's, I can start seeing that he's getting nervous. And this guy's been flying for whatever, 20, 21 years, 22 years. So he's going around, we're coming around the other side to try to hit it. And literally I'm white knuckled, like just holding on to that. And I'm not touching the yoke. I'm like, I'm going to ask, staring at him, looking at the runway, like, are we going to make it? Like, I'm trying to gauge his panic level. So I need to know if I'm should be panicky, you know, but I was trying to keep it cool. Just white knuckle, just watch him. No screaming. No, no, you know, I don't, I want him to perform at a high level right now, you know, and, uh, and not be some squilly dude in the seat, distracting him. And then I'm the problem. Right. And so he's sitting there throttling it just back and forth on the yoke, throttling it, like fighting the wind, over and over as we're kind of coming down and if we finally get down and we finally land and we were both just kind of like emotionally exhausted, right? Like just mentally beat. And I was like, and and I was like, Oh my gosh, thanks for getting us down. He's like, Oh yeah, that was, he's like, that was tough. That was a rough one. Uh, He's like, that was the worst one I've seen the entire time I've ever been a pilot. That's, that's the sketchiest landing that I've had. Wow. Well, after that, I was about to like wipe my hands of this thing. I'm done. There's no possible way. Like I'm already doing my will, my videos. And I, and then I have this experience. 
And then I got back to the point where, uh, like after all the nerves, I, I was tight. Even at when, by the time I got home, I didn't even realize how tight I was to the point where it was just like, when you're in those situations, you're not focused on your body and how tight you're, you're focused on what you need to do to be safe and get to the ground. Right. And I realized how tight and stuff I was. And I text him. I'm like, thank you so much for getting us to the ground safe. You did an amazing job out there. You know, so he goes, thank you for so much for staying calm. Um, 90% of people that would have saw that would have never come back, you know, and I'm already thinking about like, I'm not going to come back, you know, uh, this is way, this, this is too sketch for me. Uh, I'll stick with business, that type of risk where I'm not going to die. You know, I just lose money financially, but, um, I just, I kind of I reconciled that thought by saying, well, if I saw his worst in 20 something years on the third time I went up, like that's probably a good thing. Now I have that in my back pocket, that experience. I watched the whole thing go down and I watched how he worked it down to the ground and all that stuff. And now having 42, three hours into it, I'm like, if I got put in that scenario, I've seen it. Now I'm way more confident in my skills. I think I can do it without, I mean, of course I'd be nervous, super nervous, but without having to panic, right? Like staying cool under, under that pressure. Right. And so that's how I kind of reconciled that. That gave me experience that maybe somebody else wouldn't have. He didn't have that. If it took him 20 something years to experience that, I got to learn that and see that firsthand very early on. And so if I'm kind of seeing his worst in two decades, then I shouldn't have those experiences as frequently as one out of three times going up, you know? So it just felt super sketchy, super weird. But, you know, the more and more we go up, I'm like, okay, yeah, wind sucks, whatever, whatever. But I actually prefer landing in a little bit of a crosswind. I love crabbing into that thing. I land smoother in a little bit of a wind because I think I'm like, I'm on point a little bit more. There's a little bit more to focus on. And I'm a little bit like all my spider senses are dialed in to get this thing and get that, get that thing down to the ground. And, and my landings are, my, my, my landings in wind are better than my landings with no wind. <laughs> it's weird. But, That's awesome. Yeah. You know, a lot, a lot of student pilots can't, can't say that. <laughs> oh, dude, that guy, the guy, my, my flight instructor's like, dude, you, you're like a natural pilot. Like you're going to be a great, great pilot. We just, we just got to get through this shit. We got to get through this stuff, dude. Like, He's like, and, and there was a time I didn't go for like six weeks and I jumped right in that thing, started flying. He's like, dude, you don't even, you don't even got rust, man. He's like, most of these students, like if they don't fly for like three or four weeks, it's like, it feels like we're starting at step one again. And he's like, dude, you, he's like, you've got it. Just deal with the FA, jump through their hoops. He's like, you're the type of guy that should, should be in the air flying planes. So, and that, and that makes me feel good. And I don't know if he's just doing that to make me feel good, but it works. So good for him. <laughs> sure. Isn't it interesting though? So everything that you just said, right. Your third time up, it's bumpy. You're scared. You know how a lot of flying principles and flights relate to business. Oh yeah. It's, oh, yeah. it's directly correlated, you know? Oh, very much so. Very, very much so. The discomfort, you know, the 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 more experience you get, the more confident you are. You know, like I mean, there's just there's there's so many different, and you can't do it alone. You need somebody there coaching you, working with you. I think a lot of people try to do this business thing alone, and 
it's a lonely road and you're going to make more mistakes than if you have somebody that already has 20 years experience sitting there right next to you. If I didn't have that guy sitting next to me and that was a business, so to speak, I would have crashed that business. Right. Uh, without, without that expertise to say, Whoa, hold on a second. Let me take over, you know, on this last, you know, hundred yards as we're, as we're making our way in or whatever. Right. So it's, there's, there's so many parallels and it could be smooth, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you get thrown a curveball in life, in business, in the air. You know, I mean, it doesn't matter, you know, and, and you've got to you've got to have your wits about you. You got to be aware. You can't be a lazy pilot. Uh, you've got to have your non-negotiables and what you'll fly in and what you won't. What are your non-negotiables in life in order for you to perform at a high level in business? You know, like things like that. There's there is a lot a lot of correlation with life, with business and, 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 and aviation. And I believe, you know, good, good pilots will probably make amazing entrepreneurs because of the correlation and having to overcome so many different things that are similar just in a, in a different industry. Right. Absolutely. You know, I've on one of the uh, previous um, podcast episodes, um, I spoke with uh, my previous flight instructor, Brandon, and uh, he he had told me that he so he ferries pilot or aircraft across the United States right now. And a lot of these business owners that he meets, uh, you know, they they're pilots as well so it's you know that 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 uh the the relationship between aviation and entrepreneurship is very uh it's very well versed at least in in business right well yeah i mean i think entrepreneurs love you know the idea of entrepreneurship is for freedom aviation is just another level of freedom you know they don't want to be told what to do when to go there and 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 how to get there and this that you know they 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 live by the uh, a set of their own rules so to speak that's why they build their own businesses and build their own companies and do it however they want to do it um and when you're having to fly all the time in business in some cases uh it sucks you know to be this is the flight that you've got to take okay well I've got to fly out a day early just so I make that because there's really no other flights to get me there. Now I got to fly back a day later because I'm kind of missing that cutoff when my meetings end and when that last flight goes out and, you know, and so you really start analyzing the amount of time that's wasted in airports, in security, the amount of days wasted flying commercial. And then the fact that there's, you know, one, it's another entrepreneurs are, you know, they're kind of the, the, uh, adrenaline junkies of the world, so to speak, to a certain extent, you know, they, they're okay with discomfort. And so they'll, that, that they're, that that's another level of freedom, another level of discomfort, and it's a tax write-off. So you used to say tax write-off to an entrepreneur that they, they like that too. Freedom tax write-off, overcoming fear, you know, like all that. It's just like, okay, let's do it. Sign me up. You know, but the average person wouldn't say that. For sure. So, you know, aviation can is and can be a tremendous asset for, you know, a lot of business owners, especially like with what you and Kale have have going on. And I know that, you know, you had mentioned at least within the next couple of years, y'all want to purchase an aircraft. So walk me through. Let's say that you purchase your ideal aircraft. You are a um, professional pilot. So let's I don't know if you are going to hire one or if you're going to end up flying it or if it's going to be a little bit of both, but to walk me through what an, an ideal day would look like with y'all owning an aircraft. Well, the idea really is, is to be able to get more deals done, you know? Uh, so for instance, let's, let's say, let's say I want to do business with you. 
And the problem is, is you can't really get that, that commitment over the phone. They don't know you. They haven't seen you. That they, they don't know you like you or trust you yet. Right. And there was a previous business owner that Kel worked for that had his own jet. He wasn't a pilot, but he had his own jet. And, you know, Kel had talked to him and he says, do you regret a jet? And he goes, the only thing I regret about the jet is I didn't buy a bigger one. He's like, that thing made me so much money. He's like, dude, I could fly people like potential lead sources or clients or whatever. I'd be like, okay, I can send my jet and come grab you. Or I'll hop on my jet tonight. Let's do dinner at six. And just saying that, somebody reads that like, holy cow, this guy has his own jet and can be here in five hours, six hours, you know, or whatever. Like, it just puts you at a whole different level, right? Where people are like, oh shit, I want to do business with this type of person. And so one, mainly to be quite honest with you, the the main, main, main reason is for, uh getting out of getting out of airports and getting home to our family sooner and being able to leave a little bit later, but still make some of the meetings, right? Like we, we, we do business in Phoenix, right? We're uh, on a commercial flight. We're about 55 minutes away from St. George to Phoenix. It's an eight hour drive, but it's a one hour flight, right? Through right over the mountains. So um, on obviously a smaller plane prop play, I mean, it's going to be longer than 55 minutes, but still it'd only be, you know, an hour and 40 minutes or an hour and 50 minutes or whatever it is. And if we woke up instead of going to the airport and getting there by like six to get the seven o'clock flight, getting back to the airport at six at night to get the seven o'clock, like we could leave at like nine. Yep. You know what I mean? Like we can wake up whenever we want to and, and just get in the plane and we could go, we can have our meetings and whether they, they last until six or later than six, then we get to fly home and be home that night. And it's basically the idea of life in business, ABA, all is buying your time back. What's really the most precious resource that we all have is it's our time with our family, with our friends, just our time, just in general. Right. And so who wants to spend their time, you know, going to an airport an hour and a half early just to get through security and then do it again on the way. Home? Like that's three hours. And if you fly somewhere in a day and fly home, that's three hours in a day that you just completely wasted. Right. Plus the discomfort of other people and, you know, all like it's just it's just dumb. And so, like, I just feel like I'm just over it because I've experienced that experience so many times over. And then you get a flight canceled, you get this, you get that. Like, there's just a lot of things that are outside of your control and you're having to work with inside somebody else's system and having your own plane allows you to create your own system, however you want, go where you want, when you want, um, and come home when you want. Right. And that's really, that's what true freedom really is about. Um, and, 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 you know, we're going to line up a meeting with a dude, I guess his name's DR or something. And he's a commercial pilot right now, but, um, he's talked about not becoming a, uh, you know, because of the whole mandates. And I know they pulled back on that, but I think there's still a lot of pilots that really have a bad taste in their mouth that they were even going to force them to do it. Yeah. They, if they didn't get pushback, they still would have forced it. But the fact that there was some pushback is the reason why they pulled back. Right. But you shouldn't have to push back to have your rights like that. Right. And so, um, that's my belief anyways. Everybody else is, is there. They can have their own opinion. I'm not saying I'm right and they're wrong or they're wrong and I'm, you know, or vice versa. Like that's, that, that, that's neither here nor there, yeah. but that's his feeling. 
that he doesn't just he doesn't he doesn't trust that the industry can do something like that to him at a given moment and he's at the mercy of what they want him to do and he doesn't have the freedom and so we were going to set up a meeting with him because we would like to try to do something by the end of this year uh like an if possible maybe we'll just skip the whole prop plane thing and go straight to a jet because if he knows how to fly it a co-pilot doesn't have to be type rated but the actual pilot has to be type rated and so i could co-pilot for him as long as i get my my license um and he could fly the jet, I could co-pilot for him, um, and then maybe work into getting type rated at one point as well, right? So, so we, we, you know, it could go in a couple of different ways. We may still get just a, uh, you know, we've got to have this meeting with the with the dude and kind of see what he's looking for financially, you know, all of this different stuff and, and take a look at, because uh, preferably I would like something that can fit more than four people or six people. You know, I'd like something that's eight to 10 seats where we could take a group of people or my family and Kel's family and go on a trip together rather than, Hey, we're going to take you there first. And then you're going to come back and pick us up and then cut, you know, do the whole, you know, shuttle, uh, a jet, uh, yeah. back and forth to places. So we'll, we'll, we'll see, we'll see how things unfold. Uh, some conversations need to be had between, you know, us and that individual. Um, but yeah, the, my flight instructor, he, he flies private, um, he's just on a salary. I think he makes like a hundred grand a year. Sometimes he only flies two times in a month. Some months he flies 12 times in a month. Right. And sometimes it's just crazy. Sometimes it's like, eh, it's nothing. His job is just to be there and be available. So what he does for extra income on the side trains pilots, you know, and, and he's like, Oh, and then he'll text me. Hey, I, I have to fly for paparazzi. That's the name of the company. It's a big MLM. They make like jewelry. He's like, Oh, I got to fly for paparazzi. Can we reschedule? I'm like, no problem. You know what I mean? So it's like perfect for him that he gets to make money over here on the side, 50 bucks an hour, whatever it is doing what he loves to do, uh, being up in the, in the plane with me and why he's getting a salary from somebody else that he's not having to do anything for. So it's a pretty cool gig for him. And, and I just see the freedom that aviation is allowed for an individual like that. That's, you know, 60, 62 years old, something like that. Uh, where he makes really good money. He has really good work-life balance. In most cases, sometimes it's off balance in order to create like massive, maybe, I, I guess let's say it's off balance the majority of the time, but sometimes it's off balance in a very leisurely way. And then sometimes it's off balance in a very a, a heavy month of flying, right? And so, but he has the freedom to um have weeks and weeks off, but still get the deposit. So the power of aviation is you can go so many different ways with it. That's what's so cool about it. Like you can just do your own thing. You can end up becoming a flight instructor. You can fly private for people. You can fly commercial. I mean, you name it. There, there's a lot of different awesome uh, avenues that people can go down just depending on what their interests are. I mean, they can probably do the, the dust, dusty crop hopper, whatever, you know, what's that, uh, that show where the, planes, I guess it's called planes. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of different ways to go about it. And, and the freedom that aviation gives you is, is it now I, I guess I can't say that with, with commercial, <laughs> the freedom, uh, with commercial aviation is, hmm, I, I would, I would think very little, um, <laughs> yeah, anything government, they give you all the benefits, all the cool stuff, but then they take your life from you. Right. But we give you benefits, <laughs> you know? Absolutely. So, um, you know, to kind of wrap things up, what if, 
if there's another entrepreneur that's listening to this, this podcast and they're going through their flight training, um, you know, what, what would be one bit or maybe a couple bits of advice that you would, that you, you would give them? Advice I would give entrepreneurs going through flight training. Yeah. You know, if, if they're, whether they're experiencing trouble, you know, if it's related to the FAA or making that and prioritizing that yeah. time to yeah. actually flight train, you know, I mean, it just depends. I mean, right. Like I wasn't, I wasn't, I've known people, I've known entrepreneurs get their pilot's license in literally like 45 days, like super fast. It just depends really on where you're at, where you're at with your business. Right. You know, I had multiple businesses and I didn't have the ability to fly, you know, five days a week in multiple hours a day. I just didn't, I didn't have that capacity with everything that I had going on. So I was like, I'll fly maybe like twice a week to start, get familiar with it. And then it went to like once a week, which isn't good. I wouldn't really recommend that. I would always try to stay at least twice a week just so that you're getting, getting your reps in, in, in a short enough time period where you're actually retaining the information that you're getting. But um, if you're an entrepreneur and you're in, in, you're interested in aviation, like at all, I would, I would go at least get in a plane and, and get that first flight out of the way, just to vibe it out, vibe it out. Because I believe once you taste it, you feel it, you, you see it. I think that that's going to get to your juices flowing a little bit more where, where you're going to want, you know, the freedom that, that aviation can give you, especially as an entrepreneur, as a family individual, um, to be able to get to your family, uh, get home back to your family, uh, quicker or create new experiences, even with your family, with your kids. Like that's very rare that a kid gets to grow up with somebody in their family. That's an entrepreneur. Thank you for tuning into the leaders of aviation podcast. Make sure to share this with someone you know that can benefit from this content. Remember to support this show by rating, reviewing, and subscribing.